If you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, to chapter 8, continuing our study in the Gospel of John, but this morning we're going to focus primarily on one particular section of John 8, and then go back into the, the book of Genesis some. John chapter 8, in verse 56, Jesus is speaking with his people here, and he says in, in this verse, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The focus this morning will be on the first verse there, in verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Incredible statement that Jesus made to the Jews living at that time, and to us here this morning. To be able to be at a place in history in which Abraham would have been thousands of years before. And Jesus specifically says, Abraham, he he rejoiced to see my day. And when he saw it, he was glad. He rejoiced to see my day. And when he saw it, he was glad. The tendency for us is to look and, and, and to immediately think, well, how, how could Abraham have seen the day of Christ? I mean, we look at history and we see what's taken place in redemptive history and we see Adam and Eve in the garden in the fall and all that has taken place since and, and bringing everybody to the point of unto us a child has been born. It's Christ the Lord in, 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 in Bethlehem. And going from there to the cross and going from there to the resurrection and going from there to the church and looking at what God has done throughout history. And yet, so often we look at history in such a way as if all of a sudden Christ came here to earth, there in Bethlehem. but thinking about it as if it was not something in which was a plan from the very beginning. We, we see in, in Scripture where, like in Acts 2.23, where it says that Jesus was delivered by the determinate counsel, or the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. It was something that was determined beforehand. We see that in 1 Peter 1.20 where it says that, that He was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Before God ever created the world, it was foreordained that Christ would come, that he would go to the cross. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 13, verse 8, he refers to the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And so we know from Scripture that Christ's coming and the crucifixion and the resurrection wasn't something that was an afterthought. It wasn't something in which... The sacrifices weren't enough or all of a sudden God came to a point of a last resort and sending his son to the cross. This was something that was planned from the very beginning of time.
1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. It talks about the prophets. And it says, referring to our salvation, that they, these prophets inquired and they searched carefully. They prophesied of the grace that would come. They were searching what or what manner of time. They're looking at all of these things. When is Christ going to come? So the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So here with the prophets tells the spirit of Christ was indicating to them when he testified beforehand, before any of these things happened, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Telling them beforehand, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be the sufferings of Christ. There's going to be the glories that follow. Christ is going to come. It says, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which they now have been reported, that have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. And so we look and we see in history that there's these prophets and there's, they're writing these things, they're saying these things, that Christ is working in them, he's speaking to them, he's telling them of the things that are going to take place. And so we look at the life of Abraham and we say, so when did that happen? When did Abraham rejoice to see the day of Christ and see it and be glad? I mean, there, there, there was, Jesus is speaking, full authority. We know that it's 100% accurate because it's coming from the words of Christ. It's in Scripture. There was a point in Abraham's life in which, or a duration of his life, in which he was looking to Christ who was to come, he rejoiced over it, and he was glad. He's thinking of Christ to come, and he's looking at his Savior who's coming, and rejoices and is glad. Let's turn to the book of Genesis, to chapter 12, and look a little bit in the life of, of Abraham to see when these things might have taken place. In Genesis chapter 12, right there in the beginning, God comes to Abram, whose name would later be changed to Abraham. He comes to Abram, and he says, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So that God comes to him. Here's the message. I'm going to bless you. But specifically, in you, all of the families of the earth are going to be blessed. From you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7, it says, Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Okay, so God tells us in the book of Galatians that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham when God said to him, 
and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Here God tells us in the book of Galatians that that's the gospel going forward. When God says to Abraham, in you all of the families of this earth are going to be blessed, God tells us that was the gospel going forward. We, we think of how we got saved and what God did in our hearts. It wasn't only the Jews, but Jews and Gentiles. The gospel going forward to where me, coming from a dad who's Japanese and a mom who's English, Irish, and several other things, um, here in Southern California, that God would work to where the gospel would come to me and the gospel would come to you wherever you're from. They, all the families of the earth would be blessed as a result of Father Abraham, as a result of the seed that would come through Abraham. Hebrews eleven thirteen tells us, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. There's these promises that are given, and they're hearing it, and they're hearing it from afar off. They, they, they're, they're, they're hearing what's taking place and seeing these, these promises from a distance, but they're embracing them, and they're confessing them, and they're saying, there's hope for us. From Abraham, from his seed, all of the families of the earth are going to be blessed as a result, and God's just saying that's the gospel going forward. But think about the circumstances in Abraham's life. In, in Genesis eleven thirty, 30, it tells us, introduces us to his wife, Sarai. And it just tells us a little bit of information about her. And it just tells us she was barren. She had no child. That's what it gives us about Sarai there before this promise is given. So God calls Abraham to marry this woman, Sarai. And he tells us she's barren. She's barren. She has no child. She has no ability to have children. When you think of the promise that's given in Genesis chapter 12, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I'm going to bless you. You would think, God, why, why give him then a wife who's barren? Why would you do that? It doesn't make sense. I mean, if you're saying from the seed of Abraham, all of the Nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Why give him a wife that is barren? And God specifically did that. We we see later on in in Genesis 16 where it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. The Lord has restrained me. God has kept me from bearing children. Now remember, this promise is given. He's 75 years old, and God says, here's the promise that's going to be given. But what we find here is that God's going to do a work. She's barren. She has no ability to have children. But God is going to have the gospel go forward from Abram. If you look at Genesis 13 and verse 14, it tells us here that the Lord says to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, where you are northward, southward, eastward, westward. 
For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that a man could number, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. And then it says, Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. There's descendants that are going to be coming from you like the sand of the sea. In Genesis 15, if you'll turn there with me to verse 1. It says there, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Stop in there just for a moment. Think of Abram at this point. He's been given these promises. This is what I'm going to do. He has been given a name, Abram. Your name is Abram. He's born. His parents say your name is Abram. His name means father of many. So he gets this name, Abram, and... It had to be. It had to be so hard for him, having people come up. What's your name, Abram? Oh, how many kids do you have? None. And walking away and having them kind of snicker. His name means father of many, and he doesn't have any kids. He tells his wife. He tells the people. God came. He spoke to me. He said, "From my seed, from my descendants." All the the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And he's looking, just saying, when? I mean, I was was 75 years old when the promise was given. Year after year goes by, nothing. And so he says there in verse 2, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is... Eliezer of Damascus. Abram says, look, you've you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my own house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. Here's Abram. I've got no kids. You gave me this promise. How about, how about Eliezer? How about, how about he becomes my heir? This guy that works in my home. How about, how about he's the one that becomes it? What's taking place here is Abram saying, God, you gave me a promise, but I'm going to try to figure this out on my own. You gave me a promise that from my seed all the nations will be blessed, but I have this inheritance, and, and can, can he be my seed? And God says, no. No, it's going to be one that comes from your own body. He's the one that's going to be your heir. When you look at Eliezer as Damascus, picture in your mind that's just religion. Hear God saying, I'm going to have one come from you from your seed, who is Christ. One who's going to come, and from the seed of Father Abraham, later on, you're going to see it go down and down and down through the generations to where Christ is going to come. And he's saying, okay, but I think I need to help you because these years go by and I got nothing. So how about this guy? How about he's my heir? And God says, no. 
No, let's go outside, look at heaven, count the stars if you're able to number them, so shall your descendants be. And then it tells us in verse 6, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Radical. There is salvation that takes place. There is this incredible work that takes place in the heart of Abraham at this particular point where it tells us, and he believed. Not only did he believe, but through his faith in the promise that has been given, it's been accounted unto him for righteousness. He believes, and it's through that faith that he is made righteous. It's not based on his works. It's not based on his stuff. It's not based on how obedient he is. He believes, and it's now been accounted unto him for righteousness. It's awesome from there where he goes from that point, if you're with me in Genesis 15, where in verse 7, God comes and says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And so Abraham says, Lord God, how shall I know that I inherit it? that I'll inherit it. How will I know? I mean, you, you, you once told me that I was going to have a kid, but I got no kid. You give me this inheritance, and you tell me these things. I believe you, but how do I know? How do I know that I'm going to inherit this land? How do I know that this is going to take place? Because year after year goes by, and I see nothing happen. How do I know? And God says, okay, well, let's do this. Let's take a three-year-old heifer. Let's take a, female, a three-year-old female goat, or a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him. And it tells us he brought these to him and cut them in two down the middle and, the place, and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. So here he is. God says, bring these animals, let's cut them in half. It's a graphic scene, isn't it? it? You see the little three-year-old cow, you see a goat, you see a ram, you see a turtle dove. You see these animals. All these animals are cut in half. Just split right in half. One on each side. It's odd to us to picture this, but this is something that would have taken place in this time, all the time. If I'm a king and I conquer Garrett's kingdom, it wouldn't be hard. I, I ca- ca- conquer. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I, I conquer his kingdom. I might, at that point, I, I, I bring him. We, we make a covenant together. We're now going to be one kingdom. We, we take the animals. We cut them in two. We lay him out along a strip, and what we do is the two of us walk down together between the, the animals that have been cut in two. And what we say is this, if either one of us breaks the covenant, may the same thing happen to us as has happened to these animals. It's part of the vassal treaties that took place during that time. And so what God's saying is this, okay? Take the animals, cut them in half. But then it tells us that he has Abram fall into a deep sleep. In verse 17, it says, it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. What happens is God says, Abram, you're falling asleep. We have a covenant that's being made, but you're a covenant breaker. I'm a covenant keeper. I'm going to have you fall asleep, and I'm going to go through on my own. And what he's saying is, 
you can't keep the covenant, but I will keep the covenant. I'm going to go through by myself, and if I break this covenant with you, may the same thing happen to me as what has happened to these animals, because I'm going through by myself. You're falling into a deep sleep. You're asleep. I'm going through. Radical picture. I mean, all the way through, what we see is she's barren, can't have kids. God's going to do something amazing here. Come to this point, promises that are given. God says, I'm going to make a covenant, but you can't keep it. You're a covenant breaker. I'm going to go through by myself. We go through and we, we get to Genesis 16, where it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. And then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. Here, discussions had to have taken place. What did God say? God said that it, it, it can't be your, your servant. It's someone that's going to come from your own body. That's the one that's going to be an heir. Did he specifically say your own body, or did he say that it was going to be you and Sarai? He just said your own body, then I have a plan. Take my handmaiden. I mean, to, to have a wife do this, think of the pressure that she was under. It had to be brutal for her. I mean, when is there going to be a child that comes that is going to be the seed and, and still nothing? Ten years have gone by. Nothing. And she says, take, take Hagar. Take her. And again, it's man's attempt to reach out and make it happen. And God's saying, No. They have a child, they have Ishmael. But what we find is that more time goes by. Ishmael comes, he's Abram's 86 years old at this time. And now 13 more years go by. In Abram's mind, it's, I think I'm okay. I have a descendant now. I got, I got Ishmael. Look at me at Genesis, with me at Genesis 17, verse 1. Then, it tells us, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I'll make my covenant between me and you, and I'll multiply you exceedingly. And then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. But, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I... Give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Here's Abram hearing this promise. And I, 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 I could picture what the town meeting looked like after that. Hey, God appeared to me again. It's been like 13 years. But God appeared to me. I'm changing my name to Abraham. My name once was Abram, father of many, and then I had Ishmael. But I'm changing my name now to father of many nations. 
You could just imagine, like, there's no, I mean, if I were in that crowd, I would be like, you know, there's no way I wouldn't have been laughing or cracking some joke. I mean, for sure. He just changed his name. He had one kid, many nations, you know, like, you could just picture them all walking out, and, and yet God comes. This is the promise. This is the promise. In verse 15 of Genesis 17, then God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you should not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. And then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings and people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? 90 years old? Why, why did God wait that long? Because he wanted everybody to know that when Messiah comes, it is not the result of hard work. It's not the result of our own doing. When the seed comes that is going to save the nations, when the seed comes that's going to save us, it's not going to be the result of our labor. It is going to be a result of God Almighty saving his people. You look, Carrie, why have her be barren? Because he wants us at a point where we look and say, it's all God. Why wait till she's 90? Because he wants us at a place of, that's impossible. Why wait till he's 100? Because he wants us at a place of, that's not possible. How did this happen? Well, this is what's taking place. But what does Abraham reply with? Look at verse 18. Abraham says to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God just said, Sarah's going to have a son. And his response is, no, Ishmael. Just use Ishmael. And God's saying, no. Ishmael is the work of your flesh. Ishmael is the work of of you trying to do what you thought you could do to make this happen. I'm not using Ishmael. Isaac will be the son of promise. Isaac's the one in whom the seed is going to come through. In Genesis 18, if you look there with me at verse 10, God says, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? It's impossible. But the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? Why did she laugh? Why did she laugh? And Sarah says, I didn't laugh. She was afraid. I didn't laugh. But God, but God says, no, but you did laugh. But there in verse 14, there's this incredible passage where it's, God says, is there anything that's too hard for the Lord? Why'd she laugh? Is there anything that is too hard for the Lord? Is there anything that's too hard for him? 
If God's going to say, I'm going to save a people, is there anything that's too hard for him? God's going to work just in a mighty, mighty way. Turn a couple chapters further on to Genesis 22. In Genesis 22 and verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. Why this? All of this is the gospel going forward. Take him. Take your son, your only son, the one that is the seed, the one that is the, 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 the promised one, and go and offer him up on Mount Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. We look and we find out later that this particular spot is the exact same spot in which Christ was crucified. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and he went to the place which God had told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. Notice it says, and we will, we will come back to you. So Abraham takes the wood for the burnt offering. And he laid it on Isaac, his son. What does that look like to you? Here he is. Here's Isaac. Abraham takes the wood and he lays it on Isaac for Isaac to carry up to Mount Moriah. You picture the cross, don't you? Take your son, your only son, whom you love, have him take that wood. He's going to carry the wood up to the same spot in which Christ will be crucified thousands of years later. Take it. Abraham took the fire in his hand and the knife. What is that a picture of? Judgment. God's judgment coming upon him. He's got fire in his hand and he's got a knife in his hand. Isaac's taking the wood. They're going up together. And it says here that Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And then he said, look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? You got the fire, you have the wood. Where's the lamb? And Abraham says, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Abraham knows that God had said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go and offer him up on the mountain that I'll show you. And now his son says, dad, dad, you got the knife, you you got the fire, you got the wood, where's the lamb? And he says, God will provide for himself a lamb. So the two of them go up together. They came to the place in which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Remember, Isaac is at an age. Without a doubt, he could have fought back and said, I'm not doing this. And yet we get this picture of just as Christ willingly went, Isaac willingly goes. Abraham... Stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Picture this. Up until this point, there have been sacrifices that have been made, but never a human sacrifice. There's this picture that is being created here in which Abraham is being made very clear that take your son, your only son, whom you love, offer him up. One that is bound there to to have this knife come through him and to be burned with fire. Judgment that's coming upon him. But yet what God is doing here is he's showing that it's all pointing to Christ who is to come. It's all coming from the seed of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Eventually it's going to go down to Christ, Jesus Christ, who was born from the seed of David, who is going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the the sins of the world. And he is going to be there and he's going to carry his cross and he's going to go up that same exact mountain and he's going to be bound there. And there's going to be judgment that's going to come upon him. But at that point, there's no one that's going to say, stop. Because all of that was pointing, all of this was pointing to there is a day in which Christ is going to be crucified and he is going to take away the sins of the world. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram, and he offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called on the name of the place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. Your descendants shall be as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore. Your descendants shall possess the gate for their enemies, of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. In your seed, not seeds, in your seed. From you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. When we look at this, Abraham has this knife and he's about to plunge it through his son. But God stops him. God provides the lamb. God provides the animal in the thicket to say, no, stop. All of this pointing to Christ who is to come. We don't know all the details of everything that was said, but when you think of what has taken place, of she's barren, God kept her from having kids, it's not going to be Eliezer. It's, it's not going to be Ishmael. There's one that's going to come from you. And it's going to come from your wife, Sarah, who's 90 years old. I'm going to do all of these things. Jesus just said, Abraham saw my day and he was glad. He looked and saw God's going to do this. God's going to provide for himself a lamb. He has the ability even to cause my son to rise again from the dead. Remember when he says that? He, he could make my son rise again from the dead. And that's exactly what took place with Christ. Isaac, child of promise. You see, God talked about this both in Romans, Galatians, Hebrews. I'll close with Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. 
By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he'd receive as an inheritance. He went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise and in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because, her judge, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. In verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham believed. But what Christ tells us is he saw his day. He knew God's going to provide for himself a lamb. On that mount, thousands of years later, Christ died. The details that are here pointing to Christ who is to come is incredible. But the gospel goes forward with this, doesn't it? The gospel tells us that if you're sitting here this morning saying, I think I've done okay. I got, it. I got my servant. Or I, I think I'm okay. We, we got Ishmael. I think we're okay. God's saying, no, there's no works that you could ever produce that would ever earn favor with God. There's nothing that you could ever bring to God saying, is this enough? God's saying, I'm going to provide. I'm going to provide a seed that will come from Abraham, that will come from his wife, even when she was barren, even when she's 90 years old. I'm going to provide one that's going to come. And it'll be Christ the Lord. I'm going to provide one that's going to go. And when that knife should come through us and judgment should come upon us, when we should be burned with fire, God says, no, I'm going to provide my son there on that same mount and judgment is going to come upon him. The divine judgment will come upon him, not you. He'll take it upon himself so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The whole point that you find in Romans and Galatians and Hebrews is how did Abraham get saved by faith? It's all by faith. How are we saved? By faith. The same faith in which Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Do you believe God when he says, I gave you my son, my only begotten son, just as Abraham offered up Isaac, his son, his only son, whom he loved. I gave you my son, a lamb without spot or blemish or any such thing. I provided him for you. He carried that cross. He went up on that same mount. He died on that cross. And he took your sins upon himself so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's incredible when you think about it. It should give us such great confidence in the gospel. How was he saved? By works? No. How was he saved? By circumcision? No. What is it that saved him? Ishmael? No. None of those things saved him. The only thing that saved him was 
faith in Christ and his day which was to come and which saved him. And we look back on Christ who died for us and we see it all come to fruition to whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I pray that that would give us as a congregation such great confidence that you are saved and you see the redemptive history of God working through even preaching the gospel to Abraham beforehand, the same gospel in which has come to us, yet we look at it and see Christ our Savior died and he rose again and he lives forevermore. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we love the gospel. We're so thankful for it. We're so thankful, Lord, that you give us these pictures even thousands of years before the cross so that we would come to a place of seeing even Abraham saw your day and was glad. He rejoiced to see your day. He had the gospel preached to him even at that particular time, thousands of years before you would go to the cross. And he believed and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Lord, we as your people believe. And it is accounted unto us for righteousness. Yet there could be people here in our congregation this morning who, who think that they have done enough by their own ingenuity, by their own planning, by their own exit plan. And yet their hope is not in the promises that you gave the promises specifically of your son who would come to die for them. I pray, Lord, that on this day they would see with just such clarity a God who has a plan and a God who works that plan and a God who saves, a God who takes his son from the seed of Abraham all the way through keeping his promises to the very day in which he would come, to the very day in which he'd go to the cross, on the same exact mount at that particular time where that spotless lamb would die for our sins. May that cause your people on this morning to rejoice. And if there's any here, Lord, that are not believers, may your Holy Spirit work so mightily in their hearts to ask the question, how else is that possible unless it is true? How else is it possible, unless it is true, that you are a God who keeps promises? Lord, on this morning, we thank you that you went through those animals alone because you know that we're covenant breakers. We thank you that you were faithful when we're faithless. We thank you that you call us unto yourself and you draw us to you. And may we praise you with all that is within us this morning. In Jesus' name.